Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast, brought to you in association with FNB Channel Islands. With Saints now top of the table, we'll round up the latest FNB Prio League action. We'll also check in on the battle for third, with Bells now in the driving seat after beating a fading Sylvans. Uh, better news, though, for some St. Peter stars of the future. We'll reflect on Sylvans' title-clinching win in the Ravenscroft Under-14 division. Uh, and we'll speak to GFLM chairman and former Ireland manager Phil Corbett about the challenges of getting a disrupted season finished and much more besides. Uh, I'm Tony Kerr, and with me as ever are Rob Batiste. How do? And Gareth the Prevo. Hi, Tony. Well, let's start, though, with young Alex Scott, someone we've talked a fair bit about over the last few weeks. Uh, he made his first team debut for Bristol City on Sunday, uh, coming off the bench with 20 minutes or so to go in a 3-2 defeat at home against Luton. Uh, proud moment, of course, I'm sure, for Alex, his family uh, and his former clubs here, St Martins and Guernsey FC. And he got some good reviews for this uh, debut appearance too, Gareth. Uh, what did Bristol City's manager, Nigel Pearson, have to say about his youngsters? Well, he's, um, he was actually um, very complimentary about basically the, uh, the academy at Bristol City of bringing through such um, good quality players. But um, he, was, he was very adamant that he, um, he, Bristol City aren't on a great run at the moment. And um, they've got a lot of injuries within their first team squad. And uh, Nigel Pearson um, quite clearly came out um, saying he, he doesn't, in an ideal world, he perhaps wouldn't be put in, chucking his youngsters in quite at this stage. He doesn't want um, this current uh, run to be a damaging experience for them. Um, but um, he, he, he did actually say, just uh, I've got his quotes here, it's, it's good for us that uh, we're exposing young players in the sense that we've created players who are technically gifted enough to be in and around the first team. So... Um, certainly from the few bits of social media I've seen since the game, Alex um, came on, was typically composed and uh, a classy performance from him. I mean, he's obviously got a big future ahead of him. But yeah, Nigel Pearson was very clear in that um, he, he doesn't want to be exposing youngsters to difficult periods like Bristol City are going through. But um, they've now only got a couple of games left this season. So you might see Alex getting a bit more game time yet. Yeah, there was a first start for an 18-year-old, Tommy Conway, as well, um, in that game. Uh, so, as you say, a, a sort of little clutch of, of attacking kind of talent that's, that's been given its, uh, the, the, you know, their first kind of run-outs in the team. But I suppose in terms of actually where Bristol City are in their season, you know, there's no danger of relegation. Obviously, there's not much on the line uh, yeah, the other way either. But, um, yeah, there's not much to lose, is there, in terms of playing them now? No, that's right. Um, it's also quite interesting just looking at the um, Bristol City website that... Uh, Nigel Pearson had his first face-to-face meeting with Steve Lansdowne on last Friday. So um, obviously they're they're obviously looking at their plans for next season. I mean, this season is now, like you say, they're they're not going to be relegated. They're not going to be in the playoffs or anything. So it is very much a case of looking forward to next season and looking to push for the Premier League, which is where that club wants to be, obviously. And I, I do think it is a significant moment as well for the link between Guernsey FC and Bristol City. Um, you know, clearly we saw... A few years ago, a couple of players coming on loan to Guernsey FC, but this is the first time that, that a young Guernsey talent has kind of moved in the other direction. And, and you know, for him now to, for, you know, for Alex now to make his first team debut, uh, it is a significant moment. Do you think, Rob, now that Bristol City is the kind of natural destination for, for any talented players that might follow in Alex's footsteps? Well, it would appear so. Um, there's obviously a, a 
a, a proper link between Guernsey FC and Bristol City that's well established and that's not going to go away. But I do think it's, it's quite possible that um, some of the other local clubs may well have um, their own more tenuous links with um, professional clubs. Um, it's not too long ago, Sam Sylvans, for example, had one with Brighton and um, that may well remain. Um, but I, I think Bristol City is going to be the main avenue, for sure. Well, let's move on to the Premier League chaps then. And uh, Alex Scott's former side, St Martins, finally reached the top of the table this weekend. Uh, Jamie Dodd's relatively late goal edging them past bottom side Rangers. Uh, they now lead Rovers, uh, who weren't in action this weekend, by two points with one game in hand. Uh, Bells, meanwhile, beat Sylvans 2-1 to jump above them and go third. Uh, Manza and North also still in contention for a top three finish. Manza 5-1 winners over Alderney, uh, while North were also in the goals, beating Vale Rec at 5-0. Uh, Rob, Saints top, it's been a little while coming, but they've done it. Yeah, but they certainly made hard work of it. They, were, they weren't at all impressive in midweek against North, uh, finished goalless. Um, it was the second successive goalless draw I've, ever, I, I, I've seen. And um, I, can't, it's, I don't think in my whole career, to be honest, for 40-odd years reporting, I've reported on two successive goalless draws. But it does show something about the competitive nature of the game, I suppose. Um, Saints, the last, obviously, clearly the last two games have really struggled to create much. And um, against North, they were pretty poor in that respect and um, didn't deserve anything more than a, um, a point. And uh, they were, seems they're quite lucky to get the uh, all three against Rangers, um, who, as I said before, they may well be bottom of the league, but they're not as bad as, the, as their position suggests. Um, I was up at St Peter's, saw um, Bell's scrape a 2-1 win against Sylvans. That was their third successive de defeat for Sylvans. Very close game, Sylvans at the edge of the first half, Bell's the second half. Um, I was very impressed by the um, Dave Maris playing in the central midfield for Bell's. He's the former York City professional. Um, he has reached 40, I believe. Um, you can see he is has plenty of experience. He's looked after himself himself very very well and since they've put him in central midfield in sort of a holding role you can see his experience shine through he just does the simple things wins the ball gives it good positioning covers for a lot of other players and they're after I thought Bell's early season were sometimes a bit of a shambles um, but in the last few weeks they really are quite um, decent team now they've got good balance right through the side and they've got the bit between their teeth um i wouldn't be at all surprised if they actually now hold on to third place sylvan's struggling a little bit they were they, they didn't play badly by any means against bells on saturday but without kyle smith um in the side and without kyle smith firing which he's been struggling even in the, in, in recent times they'll always find it a little bit hard for to score goals um but I'm sure Martin de Gore, if you'd have offered, asked him at the start of the season, where he, if he'd have had, if he'd accept a top three um, challenge for 90% of the season, he would have bitten your hand off. They've they've had a great season, Sylvans, and um, even though they've lost three three out of three. I don't think they should be too despondent at all. And I suppose you know we've got to make Saints favourite right now, as we say, top of the table, a game in hand, but. You know, the next three games are Manza, Sylvans and Bells. Yeah, like yeah, they're going to have to pull their, pull their socks up. They're obviously, they, I, I suspect they will. Um, I think they probably thought they might well get those 
two victories um, easily enough. Um, but I said they don't create an awful lot. And if Danny Hale is a bit off the boil, um, the the chances aren't aren't overly forthcoming. Um, and you know the likes of Sorens, I gather Carl Smith is likely to be back soon. If Charlton Govine is on top game against um, Saints, you never know. Um, I think I think Saints and uh, Bells against gave Saints a very good game um, a couple of weeks back. Um, it was two 0 and they may well give them an even tougher game next time. And Rovers' next couple of games: Alderney and Velrec, who both on the uh, receiving end of heavy defeats of the weekend, and Rovers already with a much much superior goal difference to Saints. So it, it could still be an interesting finish. It for could season. be, but um, my money's on Saints. Well, that's it for part one. Coming up next, we'll hear from GFLM chairman Phil Corbett. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Uh, now, it has been a, a challenging year and a bit, of course, for everyone, uh, not least in terms of sports for football's administrators locally. Rob, to get to this point now, we're, we're just a, a few weeks left of the season um, uh, and the, the, you know, the fact that the, the season was kind of brought back onto track, uh, an impressive feat? Very much so. The GFLM have done a terrific job um, in in what in completing the season, which I'm sure will happen. Um, the likes of Keith Mansell, uh, Matt Liu, Phil Corbett, and the rest of the board. Um, it, it's no mean achievement to to get where they are today. Um, and I'm, you know, I think Guernsey football should be indebted to those three in terms of steering them as far as they have. Um, as I say, it would have been a bit of a disaster if we'd have had a second successive null and void season. Um, but we're going to get there and it'll be all very meaningful as well. Well, let's uh, hear from Phil Corbett now. The GFLM chairman uh, joined us just before and we asked him uh, just how difficult and challenging the season has been logistically to, to get to, sort of towards the finish line. Well, as people say, it's been um, an exceptional season that's uh, had to be looked at in different ways and uh, different times. We started giving players plenty of options in uh, in the cop matches there were pool games so everybody started with a you know two or three games in cop competitions in certain leagues railway i think jackson was um, some of the youth competitions and the season was up and running quite nicely the weather wasn't too too bad so rescheduling of fixtures wasn't that serious an event and then of course january's lockdown came along and that then certainly put a spanner in the works uh, but to be fair to the guys on the board, um, they're really enthusiastic and committed and we were able to get the fixtures rescheduled as they were coming up. As a fixture came up, it was rescheduled forward into where we expected um, lockdown to have eased off. And the closer you got to the end of the lockdown and the government was making their announcements, we were able to you know, put a set of fixtures out. They have been problematical for some clubs. Um, we've had a number of forfeited games. I think the number is certainly around 12 or 14 forfeited games at the moment, which sounds a lot, but then you realise there's probably 350 games needed to be played. Yeah, it's not just been one season, as obviously last season, um, you know, we, we lost the, the whole campaign in the end. Uh, Painful. You know, that extra sort of time to think and assess and, and look at how things are done, you know, are there stuff that we'll take on from this? Yeah, I think the lessons have been learned. Uh, you know, I think clubs have got to be more aware when they're doing their entries at the start of a season as to what their true um, player numbers are. Um, I think in total we've had 
three teams pull out of leagues this year um, through numbers, a lack of numbers. And we had three teams at the lowest Corbett Cop level, the Corbett Shield level, pull out of the league simply because the teams that were entered um, weren't quite strong enough to compete. And some of the games were very difficult to manage and keep scores um, in an in a score range where it's sensible. I mean, there were double-figure scores and teams were trying to prevent that, but it's very difficult. So we agreed that they could withdraw from that competition. Have we got enough senior footballers, Phil? No. Yeah, to be blunt. We were told that, I think you've got to look at the league structures and to start with, and do we really want Prio... Let's use the old terminology, Prio Jackson, which is the Reserve League Division 1, then you've got the Railway Leagues, which are Divisions 2 and 3. There's, I think it's eight teams and nine teams in Division 2 and 3. There's Every club's got to be represented in the Reserve League, and then you've got the Prio League of nine teams. I don't think there's enough players to supplement all those those teams without a high percentage of um, players playing in two or three different teams to make up numbers. A lot of teams in the lower divisions of Division 3 use the Vets as a to supplement to player numbers. Having said that, I've got to say, Division 3 is probably the most competitive league in our senior programme. There's still four teams, I think, can win the league. Um, I think the integrity of the leagues is good. The board introduced a three-game rule the season before last that was called curtailed. So uh, it works. It, it prevents the good players playing downwards. It forces clubs to push players up into ranks. We hear there's a there's a couple of clubs that are not happy with the reserve leagues, the Division One league, having three rounds of fixtures, and there's a proposal going to come forward to reduce that to two which is a shame um, because the Reserve League has got to be the Development League, call it what you like. Uh, over the last 40 or 50 years, majority of clubs have used the Reserve League to blood youth players in readiness to play first-team football if they weren't, that player wasn't ready to make the step from youth straight into first-team. Um, and those days, it seems as though, you know, if you're only going to give them two games... It doesn't seem an, an, yeah, enough games for that particular requirement. I know the argument is they've got the 18s to play, but that's at the moment there's only 15 games, I think. So in, in, all in all, it's yeah, not that many games to develop players. And presumably the, the player pool challenges are only going to get harder as the population changes. And I, I think one of the players. things that footballers missed out on and doesn't look at enough is... If you go back 20-odd years, there was a non-affiliated group football leagues in Guernsey. There were the Saturday leagues. There were at least two set-ups of Sunday leagues. There were business leagues. Now, they've all gone. They've disappeared. KG5 operates social leagues, um, but they're small-sided. Um, and they're, they're very popular. Now, when we had the non-affiliated leagues, it was possible for affiliated players to play in them and the, those leagues had rules that prevented Prio players having sometimes more than two, three in a, in a team at any given time. But that's when registrations existed in a very formal format. But the big thing that was missing now, compared to when those leagues were available, the GFA clubs signed players from those leagues to play in their, in their Railway and Jackson sites because some players only didn't go to clubs directly. They would come to the island for work, sign up for their business team 
a pub team, a hotel team, whoever was in the Sunday leagues, Saturday leagues, and they'd play with people who were members of clubs and they'd be attracted across. And I don't think the player numbers, now that we're only looking at affiliated football, I think there's something like 1,500 registered players in Guernsey. I think there must have been significantly more than that 20 years ago when there, there was all these other leagues. Certainly the, um, the football... Um Picture has changed remarkably over the last 40, 40 years, I would say, but um, it still thrives and it's still um, a class of success story. It's got its problems, there's no doubt about it. Um, there's still some good football being played, particularly at the top end and competitive Prio League, which you, you must be pleased about. Of course, it's very competitive. Um, that's topped up nicely by the, you know, the fact that Guernsey FC's league was curtailed and the players came into the league. Um, having said that, if you take them out, it's still going to be a competitive league. Um, teams are balanced. I think um, there's some clubs that, are, if they're well run, they've got a very good future to look forward to if they can um, get themselves in order. I think a classic example is, is Rangers. They've got a very young group of first-team players. They've got a very strong 16, 17, 18-year-old crop of players. So, you know, if the coaches there can work with them and develop them, they'll become a force to be reckoned with. Um, North have got some young, super youngsters coming through. And again, you know, they they were the club that was most heavily penalised last year with, when the season was curtailed. They were virtually the Prio champions. Mm. Now they're fourth or fifth in the league. Um, but they've got some very, very talented young players. And if, you know, they can kick on, they'll, they'll come back into the reckoning for next season. You can see St Martin staying in contention. Roves will stay in contention as potential champions going forward for the next few years. So I think at the top end, Guernsey football is in a pretty good position. Yeah, I mean, you've been on the touchline a lot this season. We've sat in the back of the various stands and we've seen a lot of football. Phil, I mean, player-wise, anybody out of the the obvious picks have, have caught your eye across the, um, across the Prio clubs? Yeah, I, I, one one striker in particular. I saw him. He played la, played for the interleague side last year. Was and uh, he's he's still playing for the Manza this season. Marlon Jardine. When he plays, um, he looks like a serious goal threat every time. Um, he's like, very I sharp. Like say, very and um, he's he's integrated very nicely into their setup. He, he's you know when he started when I first saw him, he, he was a typical Madeiran lad you know, coming to play in a sort of British football. Our football is different to mainland Britain's football. But it's uh, it's certainly different from a deer in football. Now he's integrated. He's 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 got his head around it properly. Previous seasons, Carlos Cano would have been top of the list, I think, as a player that have come in and added something to our, our local games. A lot of local players are, uh, are doing well. You know, there's, there's players out there that you think... Okay, he's not going to get Marathi recognition. Somebody like um, Chris Lenuri at St Martins, he's a club captain at Prio level. Yeah, he's probably not going to make it into a Marathi squad, but he's a very steady defender. He's invaluable, invaluable. Yeah. outstanding attitude. Yeah, exactly. And that's the sort of player, you when you're looking to build a side to challenge, that's the sort of player you want in your in your group. Um Players like River Marsh, very loyal to the north. You know, Glenn Letissier down at Valrec. I mean, Valrec have had a, 
a, a difficult season at first team level. But Glenn puts himself up front whenever he can to make himself available. He, he, I've seen him play in the odd um, Division One Jackson game, um, you know, because um, he'll help out wherever he's needed. Uh, that's that's great. But it, you know, he's fully committed to the Varek in the last few years when they've been struggling, and he is, you know, that's the sort of player that stands out when you're watching. Um, watching games and you respect what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. Phil, you've obviously been around an awful long time in the coaching scene, coached Prioli winning sides, Upton winning sides, Marathi teams, um, and you've been following the top 100, I gather, with um, close interest. <laughs> um, <laughs> Reaction says it all. Keep, keep, keep continually asking me when so-and-so are going to appear. Surely you haven't forgotten him. Um, and on a serious note, I mean... Um, we are now into deep into our top ten. I mean, if have you any particular favourites you would have pushed forward for um, top ten inclusion or top twenty inclusion, which we perhaps we we haven't used yet? I think it's fair to say the one that's for me, because Guernsey football has always suffered. Um, it's always produced some very talented footballers, but left-sided players either come in. You get a trough of them, they get five or six at one go, or then you spend years and you're looking for the quality. And the one that's for me always stood out as the best, probably the best left back I've ever seen in Guernsey was Malcolm Marcon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know he didn't play a particularly long career. I, I doubt if he played much beyond his mid 20s, but as a left back, he would. He played in the 70s and he would be able to go into today's football where fullbacks are expected to be more like left wingers and defenders and he was he was very very talented and not made the top 100 I was a bit surprised but it, you know I understand there's you've got algorithms in the background that it's very complicated I can assure you it's and, very complicated uh, but he, he would stand out as one that um, for me that, that I would have you know, he made it into my all time when, when we asked two three years ago for coaches to put up their all-time Marathi eleven if they've played with them or against them or these players. He made it into mine without any consideration. He jumped ahead as the likes of Simon Johns, Mark Cotosh, etc. Uh, simply by the dilemma he used to cause us when, when he was playing against us for the Valrec, he was a nightmare because he was like an extra forward. They already had the very best forwards on the island and him coming from behind them as well just added to the woes. Um, not a player, possibly, that, you know, if you're a northerner at heart and you've followed North football over the last 20-odd years, 25 years, somebody like Michael Wilson um, went to Portsmouth as a youngster. Uh, I believe he captained their youth team. He played a, a few Marathi games over here, not many. Didn't stay around in the game long, but he was a, he was a quality defender. Um, but again... Didn't stay in the game long enough, probably, to make the top 100. Uh, understandable. And there's a few good players that I've worked with that wouldn't be able to get in the top 100 because they went to the professional game. Players like David Waterman um, was a quality player. Who was the best player you ever saw that didn't go professional? Colin Manoff. I had, what, one season with him, was it? Two seasons at Rovers we played with him? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that would. Yeah, and he, even though he was pushing forty, he was an outstanding player then. I can remember Rex. Rex was the sports journalist at the time, and he actually suggested that they could look at 
Rena for myself as the center half in the Rats. There you go. Crikey. You know, um, that was <laughs> Revelations. Way I, I totally understand why Colin Rena was recommended to go back into the Rats. He said, why Benny would have recommended me to be in there, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, but Colin, simply, I mean, when he, when he signed for Rovers, you know, he came... You expected a centre-half, but he, in training games, he'd go in goal and he'd be probably better than our goalkeeper. You know, he could play up front. He could play on the left wing. He made his Marathi cap, first Marathi appearance as a left winger. You know, he was just about all round. I mean, and a more likeable guy you'll never find. You know, smashing. Well, that was GFLM chairman Phil Corbett speaking to us just before. Uh, right, you know, as we said, the season is drawing to a close and some titles are starting to be won sort of lower down Guernsey's football pyramid. Uh, Rob, you were there uh, at Sylvan's uh, at the weekend as their young under-14 side clinched the Ravenscroft uh, under-14 division. Yeah, and Sylvan's um, got there in the last couple of minutes. Little Jimmy Montgomery came on as a sub and was in the right place at the right time to score the winner. Um, I was impressed by both sides um, in really, really difficult conditions. It was the wind was awful at St Peter's on Sunday evening. Uh, must have been about four seven, f- freezing cold as well with it. Um, it didn't help um, either team at all. But uh, there's clearly some good talent on view there. Two good coaches, Colin Fellows, another former Ireland manager, Dave Gilman, a former Marathi player who's led a bit of revival in the youth ranks at Sylvan's. And some good kids, some big kids as well. I must, I must admit, the size of some of these 13-stroke, 14-year-olds is unbelievable. Um, but um, no, um, I think North on the day were hampered by the fact they didn't have their star striker, Archie Lahuri, who'd been scoring goals for fun this season, and they clearly missed him. But um, no, I think we'll see um, plenty of some of these people um, in, the, in the future years, um, including young, one of them being Scarlett, Gallagher really impressed me, a young girl playing right back for Sylvans. She is the younger sister of Indy Gallagher, who's the Ireland sprinter, and younger sister of Lorcan Gallagher, who's playing for the Rangers Prio side, and it impressed me greatly this year. Um, I'm sure she's a women's Marathi footballer of the, of the future. Very strong, um, good tackler, good positioning player. Um, no, um she was certainly um, worth her place in that team. Fantastic. Great stuff. Well, let's have a quick look at what's coming up this week. There's a game um, Tuesday night. Manza host Vale Rec. Uh, and then four games across the bank holiday weekend on Saturday. Alderney uh, take on Rovers, Rangers, Bells, Sylvans, Vale Rec and St. Martins uh, face Manza. Where are you guys going to be? St. Martins. Another nil-nil. Um, <laughs> I hope not. I've seen enough of them. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm really struggling for goals at the moment. Yeah, so we're, me and Gareth will just go wherever you uh, don't go, Rob. Well, let's leave it there. We'll be back on Thursday um, with another sport podcast. And as we spoke about the top 100 before, we are into the, the top five now this week. Watch out for a special uh, podcast, which we recorded with, um, with Rob and, and, and three chaps who you know an awful lot about local football, uh, reflecting on the players that have made the top 10. That'll be out uh, across the bank holiday weekend, so uh, keep your ears peeled for that one. As ever, follow us on Twitter at GSY Press Sport uh, and on Instagram at GSY Press Sport as well. We're, we'll leave it there, chaps. Enjoy your week. Thanks, Cheers. Tony.